0: Come on. Welcome to Lifeblood. This is George G and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Michael Raub. Michael, are you ready to do this? I'm ready. Let's do it. Thanks. Let's let's go. Michael is the founder of Inflexion Three Hundred and Sixty. He is a consultant and advisor for small businesses, helping them outcompete in their markets, grow, and exit at significant valuations. Michael, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Uh, yeah, the why
1: do I do is a longer question, but uh, here I've been in. Uh, I'm originally from the Midwest, but uh, Cleveland, Ohio, but. Lived around the country and have spent the last 20 years in Los Angeles. Um, I guess at this point, that's the proud dad of kids off in the world. Of, you know, out, one out of college in Chicago, another one off at of the University of Michigan. So uh, I've had a lot of life learning in the last 20 years. But uh, on the professional side, I've been uh, started as an undergrad at Wharton, I've been a finance guy most of my career, but made their way into the world of healthcare about 20 years ago in the business side of that and have spent years doing transactional work or strategic roles, largely a lot of emerging or growth healthcare
0: companies. The, um, yeah. the business of healthcare, I imagine you see that change by the minute or maybe not That's at fair. all. That's fair, yeah.
1: Oh, uh, <laughs> no, it is a stroke of a pen industry. So there's no question that I've seen a lot of twists and turns. It's never going away, but you constantly have to recognize that there are changes from whether it's just payments and reimbursements or just the way uh, you know people have looked at the, how care should be provided. So, yeah. Yeah, It, it so, doesn't get dull, I guess.
0: No, no I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, there must be so much complexity from a compliance standpoint and a privacy standpoint. And yeah. it's just everywhere you look and turn, it's a different opportunity to do things great or to really screw things up badly. Yep, that's, you nailed it. You nailed <laughs> it. And I,
1: and I think the screw up part is what we're hoping to minimize, but it is hard, you know, and, and, and it's certainly... You know, I think that the industry has become significantly more business minded in the last decade, um, you know, even down to the individual doctor level, which I don't think that was the case you know, growing up. I think doctors were just doctors and now they're having to put on business hats and, uh, you know, and some do it well and most struggle in that sort of in that kind of changing of how they were
0: thinking about their career. So how how do you fit in? Tell me about the problem that, that you are solving
1: yeah, I've really started going back to my roots as an investment banker. Uh, when I got into the healthcare space 20 years ago, I was went off track for me, and I started helping run a group of surgery centers. And then where my then started helping build them out to multiple sites, and we sold the business off. So that was how I got into healthcare. Uh, and then after that, went more back to my roots of doing transactions, mergers and acquisitions, uh, and other capital raising for larger healthcare groups. So, um, I still, that's probably a big component of what I do today, but I also work a lot with uh, the leadership teams, whether the, the CEO or the, the partners or the groups or organizations and really helping them strategically think about how they want to foresee the next year or five years and really create growth plans and really think about the bigger level, higher level execution on um, whether to start, get money into the business or grow it. Uh, or really, uh, or just to shape their mindset of how they have to you
0: know, move forward. Yeah, I appreciate that. I am uh, uh, probably uh, very much a novice when, 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 when it comes to the world of healthcare. From the outside looking in, I heard some years ago that, that there were a lot of physicians who said, you know what? We're just going to stop going through insurance. We're just not interested in doing that. Um, how has that actually played out? I
1: think it's very, very, there's a lucky group of doctors who are able to be in a position where they don't have to worry about insurance. Uh, they're, they have so much demand that they can manage uh, just taking a higher, basically charge what they want and get paid fully for it. Uh, in certain markets, certain doctors, that works, but the vast majority are still sort of require to have insurance because how many people want to pay out of pocket for everything they can do? Yeah, and And I don't know that necessarily the value of one doctor to another is always appreciated by 99 and a hundred patients. I don't think really recognize how much better one doctor may be than another. So I think that largely has not gone away. You've seen some other doctors move to concierge models where they charge a big annual premium for you have the privilege of being one of their patients Um, that works for somebody who has high care needs. So, but I still think I would say that 98% of the population is pretty much doctors are doing what they're doing and Um, you know, I'm not saying they always take on the right contracts or maybe they eliminate some, but it's still a world very driven by the insurance model.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That that doesn't surprise me. So out of this, this, this provider landscape, physician landscape, whatever Mm -hmm. the right term is, you you mentioned 98%. So of of the 98% who are doing a great job Helping patients with within their particular specialty. What what percentage of those are attached to these great big healthcare systems? What part are just, for lack of a better term, independent business owners?
1: It it, it definitely varies widely across specialties. I do a lot of work in the dental industry as much as in the the other medical specialties and. You know, in medical in dental, for example, if you went back 10 years ago, it was almost everybody was independent. Today, it's as many as I think the last number so was like 15% is moved into a group practice settings or large, large dental organizations. So each year that keeps growing, more and more doctors affiliated. I think similarly, without knowing the exact statistics, similarly, you see that in medicine well, whether in medicine is well here in Los Angeles, Cedar Sinai has continually growing and adding groups under their umbrella uh, other major health systems have done that as well and really private equity is, uh, has played a big role in changes in health the entire healthcare landscape with roll-ups and consolidations across everything from ophthalmology to gastroenterology to almost dermatology if they think of something that they could have more of and more might be better somebody's <laughs> going to start buying them and, and putting them and putting them under one umbrella, even if they don't technically even function like they operate under one umbrella. But economics have driven a lot of that. They create efficiencies on many levels. So I think it's going to be just more and more of that to come. And we'll see less and less of the independent doctor uh, in the years ahead.
0: And so are are you working with independent docs, trying to help them find their way forward? Or are you working with the actual physicians who are working for the provider groups? Yes and yes.
1: Uh, and I work with um, uh, I work with definitely some independent groups, many of those, but often that are looking for taking in capital investment so they become part of, might be the first piece of a private equity puzzle or an add-on to an existing group. Uh, I work with the private equity groups who are looking to add their pieces. So I work on both sides of that. Um, so I've already worked with group practices and div- individuals. And then uh, I have some clients that are really, have no, none of those aspirations, but are just kind of trying to figure out how to scale, at least no near-term, looking for doing add-on acquisitions or just strategic growth within their own existing business. So I, I guess I would say I'm a little bit opportunistic in how I work, and I just have a unique and interesting group of clients that I tend to spend my time with that uh, have different business needs.
0: Would it be possible? I guess anything's possible, Michael. Would it be advisable for just a physician group to start negotiating or talking with a private equity firm without somebody like you to guide that process?
1: I think it would. it's possible. Um, I would say that. I wouldn't say it's advisable. Uh, I think the, the great news is that uh, I think private equity groups, as much as they're obviously looking to get a financial the win they want to get the right partners in place particularly when they start a new venture so if you're an early group in it it, it uh i do think there's a lot of learning i mean part of the reason i went off where the direction i did uh, seven years five years ago i'm sorry i was working for western dental in the dental space uh, acquiring practices in the last five years i've worked independently with those groups and i realized that too often or virtually all the time, those groups get little or or no advice or even bad advice. And so they leave money on the table, they didn't prepare properly. So it doesn't have to be with me, but I think there's gotta be a real clear understanding of the true value you bring, not to be overreaching just because you heard of things, not to give up too much because you weren't prepared. There's a lot of preparation gets involved in in looking to raise capital or to partner with anybody. And so I think if, Look, I've worked with doctors for 20 years. I'd never have given anyone advice on how to do a surgery. So come, you know, but I would certainly <laughs> like, so therefore I've been doing this for m- more than 20 years. It would make sense that they would take my advice on how you should approach capital investment, partnering with somebody and not trying to do it all yourself. I mean, right, that's I mean, kind of getting to the end of the line here in terms of, you know, thoughts and, uh, and outcomes, but you can't be an expert at everything. And, and when you're not, and you can't be, find people who are and work with them even if it's even at a minimal level you can get some good guidance to put you in the right direction
0: yeah what are some of those 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 common pitfalls that you see that oh wow you know they probably should have thought about this before they did that um some of
1: the most like when i start talking about the smaller businesses and this would apply across any business not just in healthcare, is Businesses get valued different ways, but tend to be uh, on their cash flow or the EBITDA of the business um, most frequently. And I find, so therefore the expense management matters in the business uh, because every dollar you save means the business is worth more on the bottom line If people paying multiples of whatever you're worth, that there's a compounding benefit there. And I tend to find that one of the most immediate issues is overstaffed, um, underperforming people, and I don't mean wipe out your whole team, but I've had multiple times where I've spoken with people and were trying to buy them and recognizing people who maybe didn't need to be in the organization. They had six billers in the company, I looked, a business I looked at once, and you'd have two people doing that role. I mean, just four people's salaries, and you put a multiple on that, and you realize how much money they're leaving on the table. It's just they didn't want to be the bad person. Like, I didn't want to... So, but. They didn't want to be the bad person, so they cost themselves several hundred thousand dollars, you know, in a transaction, yet, let alone what they're costing themselves each year. So, yeah. you know, I do think at some point it, it is hard, particularly for a smaller business owner to, because the relationships get so personal, is to think of it like a business and not let all the personal stuff override. Ultimately, they can make a decision, but I think it helps to have an outside advisor or a consultant in board who can maybe help direct and make some of those changes logically. And you need to do it enough in advance before going to partner with somebody else so that you get the advantages from it. But I think that's probably the biggest challenge is just the personal element and the relationships within a small organization. And how do you navigate those in a way that you don't hinder your own, you know, your own financial outcomes or your own personal outcomes in a, in a situation like that?
0: It's, it's i think it's interesting that that i certainly have a tendency to think about a manufacturing company differently than i think about a professional service company like a law firm or medical practice but they're the same things right
1: they are i think that uh, you know the good news is you know if i think of you, know, you can think about the complexities of either of them but you know if a company makes a widget you know what the product is and you know who the end customer here is. i think in, i think about healthcare services you have patients who are clearly your end customer, but depending on how the organization is, the doctors, if you have a big organization, those doctors in their own rights are customers as well. Because if they're unhappy, they leave. You can't just replace one with another. It's not like a broken part. So you do have to balance both the needs. You certainly have to make sure you're covering the needs of the patient. That should be paramount. But you also have to be cognizant of these the biggest asset that you have, which are your doctors and how to ensure that they're both being productive, but kind of both being productive, but also um, going to stay for the long haul one way or another. So that definitely takes a lot of uh, certain personalities and, and the right team to manage those, which can be very unique personalities at times. Doctors can be their own challenge. So, but any professional organization, I think that whether it's a consulting firm or a law, a law firm, Um, watching your best assets walk out the door after a transaction, which happened when I was in investment banking, we got acquired and a bunch of people left the firm. Uh, How how do you manage that? Yeah.
0: yeah, Super, super unique and challenging in that regard of just the brilliance of the, uh, of, 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 of of the physician, but also dealing with potential ego, which could be catastrophic um, and probably kind of stereotypical. It, and yeah, it's, it, I learned a lot in my first six years with surgery centers and doctors
1: and schedules and recognizing, you know, their need to be in charge in a room when they're doing a surgery is it's part of all their training, but that translates into how they manage all their day-to-day practice and life that they're used to being in charge. So when they're in a situation where other people are trying to direct them a little bit, that, that, that is a, uh, that takes a little bit of finesse and a lot of learning and how to sort of work with the doctors because you don't really want to work against them it doesn't it doesn't end up benefiting anybody
0: yeah certainly and that's a classic how you do one thing is how you do everything um yeah which 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 absolutely makes sense and 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 why wouldn't they and i think probably in a lot of regards they certainly can be the person that's in charge but they don't need to be running the meeting so to speak you can be the ceo but you don't need to be the cfo you don't need to be the hr director Right. right um yeah but that's where I imagine somebody like you can kind of help people take a big step back and reframe the way that that, that, that that they're looking at how they're practicing just or how they're running different aspects of the business and how to proceed through a potential massive transaction of taking on a new partner yeah. or acquiring a practice or taking on money. Because while there's probably room for mistakes, you don't want to make too many of them.
1: Well, I think it's like anything a play to your strengths and, you know, where you have weaknesses, be able to recognize them and and know that somebody else might be better suited to manage those weaknesses than you are. So whether that's doing a transaction or just running your day-to-day business or your practice or whatever you're doing. Can't do it all the doctor can't be doing surgeries and checking in patients right so and yeah. managing insurance billing um and just like any other business so to your back to your other comment in many regards i think they become much more like any other business there's just some unique facets to professional services for sure
0: yeah 100 percent. from what i know about folks that that that, that help people sell businesses like business succession planning and continuation mm-hmm. planning a lot of folks will get all the way to the end and then they'll almost sabotage the deal just because for for a million different reasons how is that in 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 your world
1: i've had deals where we were finishing up purchase agreements where my client said you know what i decided i don't want to do this yeah. after like a year of work i've had that happen uh, i've had uh, that certainly has happened. What I've seen, the biggest challenge I've seen with transactions uh, is that it's so a piece of advice I heard somebody give years ago when I was in investment banking. So I took it and pretend like it's my own at times. But uh, you know, you got to focus on what got you to here because more transactions than not don't fall through. I mean, the reality is if you're doing just deals don't happen. So you've got to keep running your business, keep doing your day-to-day. Let us do the tra- work on the transaction and the whole thing is going to be a distraction one way or another. You're going to have to spend time pulling reports and data and doing things that you don't really do in a normal day-to-day basis and, and having to be responsive to somebody that is now and other taking up your time and energy. But if you make that your sole focus, the transaction, the business starts eroding, and it can happen quickly. It's very rare that I start working on a Get something under a letter of intent that I don't see the business sort of suffer a little bit during that process to the end of the transaction because it is a distraction. But I've seen some instances where it was like, wow. And I've seen some deals implode because the business has fallen off so dramatically. And, and even in three months, because again, when the doctors and it's something like where the doctors are the key assets, if they're not spending all their time just focusing on being doctors, patient flow goes down, revenue drops down. Now, You've got the buyer going. I'm not willing to pay as much for the business. So focus on what your strengths are, and and let other people step in and do and manage the transaction. Is the best way to preserve all that you've built.
0: I like it. Well, Michael, that was a good one. But the people are ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them?
1: Uh, I'll use the one that I I have to remind myself all the time, and that's and it's it's really Mark Cuban's. But perfection is the enemy of success, and uh, as much as I'm a detail-oriented guy and I'd like to you know, ultimately get through a transaction, you have to line everything up. At some point, good enough is enough to go forward. And if you wait till you've perfected things, you're already behind. And things always change. You're constantly adapting. So don't wait till you've nailed it and gotten it perfect to start taking the next, next step forward. So you, you just need to keep moving forward and recognize that change is you know, an essential part of the process and adapting. But that... That's something I have to live with every day. I have to remind myself of that at times. Yeah.
0: I think that that is great stuff. That definitely gets come on, come on. Yeah, that is one of my favorites right there. And maybe that's just an excuse for doing less than perfect work, Michael. But I don't think
1: that's my that's not my, my DNA. But I but I think that. I think everyone's definition of perfect is different. And I think that's it. If it's it's what you live and breathe, your view of what's good is perfect is somebody else was already there 10 steps before you got there. You're like, oh, I could have done a lot less and people would have been super happy. No um, I think no it's, it's just diminishing returns, right?
0: At some point. Yeah. Amen. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can people engage with you?
1: Uh, The best place, I mean, I have my website inflection360.com, but LinkedIn, um, there are not a lot of Michael Ralphs out there, I assure you, um, is where if people ping me, I I like to be very responsive. I love to hear about what people are doing, thinking, answer people's questions, love to make connections in any industry out there. I just love to kind of share thoughts with people uh, whenever I can. So that's a great way to hunt me down.
0: Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Michael your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to inflection360.com. I-N-F-L-E-C-T-I-O-N, and then find him on LinkedIn at Michael Raub, R-O-U-B. Thanks again, Michael. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. this great. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.